In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. This is the I Spy Radio Show. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Keeping an eye on big government. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. The trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. And now, here is your host, Mark Anderson. Once upon a time, wars used to be fought for control of resources, mainly over the lack of resources. Water, forests, fertile land, gold, silver, copper, tin, and iron mines, unlike today where apparently wars are waged for fun and profit. But back in the day, wars were waged to take what one society had an abundance of, thanks to nature being kind to their geographic location, taken by a society that didn't have such lucky geography. And then along came trade, and societies found they didn't need to kill the neighbors every time they needed some cattle. You could just trade what you had lots of for what they had lots of, and both societies were better off because of it. And there wasn't nearly so much cleanup afterwards. But now, there is really an abundance of resources. Our understanding of soil fertility, along with better equipment, has tremendously improved agriculture to the point there is really no reason anyone in the world is hungry. If they are, it's because of politics. One area of abundance is our forests. We know more about how trees grow best, soil conditions, disease, and even fire management than ever before. It's just that we don't practice what we know. Timber companies know how to run 100% sustainable forestry, plant, grow, harvest, repeat, to infinity and beyond. A renewable resource that could be renewable revenue for the state, except by not managing it, millions of acres have burned or been destroyed because of a few religious zealots, not scientists, a few environmental religious zealots who would rather that they burn rather than be cut, replanted, grow, and cut again. But there's a reason for it. Government originally was intended to help a society deal with and fix problems within society that individuals acting on their own couldn't, like dealing with invading neighbors who would like to kill or enslave you and take your resources. But in the last 100 plus years, things have changed. With socialism and Marxism infusing governments around the world, governments are no longer about fixing problems. Now they create problems that they can then fix. When you hear Democrats saying things like, government creates jobs, this is what they mean. And fixing the problems they create, it generates enormous amounts of taxpayer dollars for the allies of big government. Government is literally incentivized not to fix problems, only perpetuate them. We have an abundant amount of oil and coal, but the government has created the fear that an abundant resource is the problem, and now its allies have the solutions. It's no longer that we don't have resources. It's that rich and powerful people have been allowed to use the government to create problems and fear and artificial shortages to make people believe there are shortages so that they will pay more for something that they should be paying less for. There are still wars over resources, just different weapons. Fear-mongering people into believing the earth is going to boil if we don't spend trillions of dollars doesn't just happen. That takes billions of dollars in psychological studies and marketing and think tanks and thousands of schemers to scheme up schemes to misinform the public to convince people that carbon and carbon dioxide is evil, to convince people that the only way to win the war is to spend not billions, but trillions. On today's show, for those of us who work and exist in the realm of common sense when it comes to the environment and natural resources, 
there was an unexpected win. Or at least right now, anyway, it's looking like common sense may in fact have won out. What happened? After millions of taxpayer dollars spent on a plan, out of the blue, the Elliott State Research Forest Project has had the plug pulled on it. To talk about that unexpected win, I'd like to welcome back Dr. Bob Zyback. He holds a Ph.D. in environmental sciences from OSU, and his dissertation was on historic catastrophic forest fire patterns, and he's been our longtime consultant on issues of forestry and timber. Dr. Bob, it's great to talk to you again. Good talking to you, Mark. So this whole Elliott thing, it just kind of came out of the blue. They had been marching along for five-some years to push this through. Uh, we've had you on uh, several times to talk about what's going on there with the Elliott and how this was going to be a disastrous plan. You've got a great article that we'll link up on iSpyRadio.com. This week's show is 13-49, all about the boondoggle that is the Elliott Forest plan here. Uh, but things at the last minute kind of have kind of fallen apart. In fact, they're supposed to have a sunset uh, or a, a, a final decision on this by the 31st, and we'll get into that later with Jen uh, Hamaker, I think. But what exactly happened here? Because, like I said, it felt like it was all going through, and then all of a sudden it just fell apart. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the environmental movement got too greedy. They've been stacking the committees and working behind the scenes from the beginning to essentially create a uh, de facto wilderness with the Elliott and shut down all logging and all access and uh, creating a, uh, a firebomb, uh, from my concern, but mostly uh, putting 400 people out of work and developing a plan that uh, economically just doesn't make any sense, a research plan that's uh, politely is goofy. They've got little acronyms and, and polygons all over the place and three different uh, strategies and and the, the Elliott burnt entirely in 1879. It blew down entirely in uh, 1962 Columbus Day storm. It was uh, beset with landslides in 1996, and they've just totally ignored normal forest dynamics. But the idea that they can manage it like they do their uh, computer games with their modeling, mm. and I, I think it finally caught up that uh, when they try to last minute to create more carbon credits to the advantage of the uh, handful of people uh, putting this together, that it, uh, Oregon State finally realized this is untenable. It's, uh, it's what we've been saying for four or five years. Yes. Uh, economically, it doesn't add up. The research isn't uh, good for a uh, land-grant university and, and not very useful, and uh, it, it should be abandoned. And to President Murphy's credit, she uh, wrote out a very clear letter mm -hmm. and uh, find any more involvement. So that that was wonderful news. It really was, and it really is a great letter, and we'll make sure that we put that up on this week's show page as well. And I think we'll dive into that a little bit more with uh, Jen Hamaker when she comes on in the bottom half of the show here. You raise a lot of interesting issues, and I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it just wasn't viable, as we've been saying here on iSpy Radio, as you've been saying in your articles, as other people have been saying it was uh, financially, it was just never going to make sense. And um, I think a lot of it comes down to a, a difference of what sustainability means. I, I think when a farmer gets a farm, he looks as to whether or not it's going to be a viable uh, piece of property, whether he can uh, grow enough crops and the right types of crops in order to make a profit and continue to do that year after year. That's sustainable uh, if you can make that work. I think the way that, that the environmentalists approach it is, can we do a little bit of something but get enough money from the government year over year, and they consider that sustainable. And I think that's the key difference here is in o when OSU was looking at this, uh, when you look at the, the amount of timber that they were planning on taking off there, it was, I, I think, around half of, of what they could be taking off. 
as you've raised in the past, the Elliott, from its inception, they said that they would be able to take 50 million board feet of timber off every year into perpetuity. And they were looking at taking off hardly any of that. So your thoughts on this? Well, um, it was 50 million a year in 1993. This is all a second growth forest. So one, one big lie that the environmentalists have been doing is that the Elliott's 40% old growth. And they put that lie out there everywhere and it's in our media. It's 1% old growth. Mm. So that's a, what, 40,000% error. Uh, the Elliott grows uh, 70 to 80 million uh, board feet a year. The 50 million feet is a very a modest amount, a very uh, conservative. That's what Jerry uh, Phillips was doing in the 1970s and 1980s when the trees were much younger and smaller. So e- even at 50 million feet a year, there's another 30 or 40 million feet that are building up. Further, the, uh, and the Oregon State Plan called for 17 million feet a year. So it was actually uh, a quarter or a fifth of what the uh, forest is growing. They also added uh, that they were leaving every dead tree snag behind, which is crazy. Uh, that's, that's just asking for Roman candles all through the, the landscape. And, and we can see what happens with this kind of modeling. The, uh, they, they don't call them HCPs on the federal land. They call them LSRs. They were pr- protect uh, uh, spotted owls and so on by leaving the forest benign neglect would be a polite way to say it. Passive management is more accurate. Uh, and it's all burnt up. We've burned up hundreds of thousands of acres forest a year that's supposed to be critical habitat. And that's what uh, they're showing on their computer games. But the reality is it's fire, mm. fuel. Mags are, are standing dead firewood filled with pitch. And we can see what happens when they burn. But uh, after these fires happen and the smoke clears and uh, people are relocated, everybody seems to forget about it. Yeah. But these fires the last 35 years are really atypical. They should have been a, a warning sign 20 years ago or at least 10 years ago. And the fact that even now they're planning things like the Elliott plan to leave all the dead trees behind and not harvest areas adjacent to uh, residential properties is uh, just, it's... It it, it doesn't face reality is what it really comes down to. All right, it is time for a break. Could this be the end of the boondoggle plan for the state to take the Elliott Forest offline? We'll talk about how all this went down after this. And welcome back. This is the Ask Buy Radio Show. There's been some unexpected good news as we're talking today about the planned Elliott State Forest that up until a couple of weeks ago, everything looked like a go. They have been working for the last five years on this, but suddenly the Oregon State University president has says uh, not so fast on this. And uh, we're talking about that with Dr. Bob Zyback, whose dissertation was on catastrophic wildfires. He got his uh, Ph.D. from OSU. Uh, so I, I, you know, in some ways, I guess it really holds a lot of meaning to you that OSU, your college that you graduated from, suddenly saw the light on this. Uh, it, it was a reassuring. I've been losing a lot of confidence and probably a lot of value in my uh, dissertation through the years <laughs> with what Oregon State's been doing with climate change apocalypse and 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 so on. They've been uh, doing a lot of modeling, a lot of very odd, uh, deceiving type of uh, headlines to uh, sell their work. And I was getting very concerned. And then uh, the uh, dean turned the corner and the president uh, turned out this wonderful uh, letter. And it's a lot. uh, It's very reassuring that uh, they finally uh, looked at the, the facts 
and added them up and realized it was a boondoggle. Hmm. And so uh, uh, the fact that they waited until the last minute is, is one thing, but the, the fact they did it is, is really admirable and, and reassuring. So let's talk about how all of this sort of played out here towards the end. It really, I think, started with a presentation by Dean uh, DeLuca uh, to the OSU Board of Trustees in which he laid it out that, to me anyway, as I looked at that presentation, it just wasn't going to be viable. And then following that, uh, I think maybe the catalyst to this was an email from, um, I forget his name, uh, first name there, Huntington, um, to Vicki Walker and Brett uh, Brownscombe of the Department of State Lands uh, regarding framing ongoing Elliott discussions and uh, that they had to resolve a bunch of issues to the satisfaction of the land board members prior to the December 12th state land board meeting. Basically, it says that you know harvest volumes and, and acreage limits uh, must be strictly met. And all, he mentioned this carbon market enrollment, and that's got to happen right away. It, is it in your mind that that sort of triggered things at, at that point? Uh, yeah, finally. Uh, it's Jeff Huntington. He sent out the email 4.55 p.m. on Friday the 13th, so into the week. Uh, they just had days to the deadline, and he uh, really set out some arbitrarily uh, arbitrary uh, restrictions. A few minutes after five o'clock, uh, Brett Brownscombe forwarded the letter on to everybody that had anything to do with it. Of course, they were already gone for the weekend, so the timing wasn't an accident. The real problem began when when they appraised the Elliott at only two hundred and twenty point eight million by putting a lot of uh, restrictions on it. It's school trust land. It's worth at least a billion dollars by all accounts. Uh, but they use uh, odd uh, uh, ways to uh, evaluate the property and devaluate it. And then when they put it up for sale, it was for a set amount. You could not bid higher, $220.8 million, And yet it's trust property for our school kids. So uh, as a school trust, as school uh, land trustees, they were not doing their job of getting the, the, the best return for the investment for the school kids. Well, that same day, uh, November 13th, the OSU president sends out her letter uh, basically saying we're, we need to back out of, of this. Was that in response to, to Huntington's letter? No, Huntington's email, I think, was a month or two before and then that went to Dean DeLuca, and he saw the writing on the wall, I think, because uh, he delivered uh, uh, his concerns to the uh, the trustees, and the trustees, the president uh, presides over them. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. That information and and uh, wrote her letter. You're right. I had my dates wrong. That was that was October 13th, not November 13th. So um, she sends out her letter then. Vicki Walker, who is with the... Um, Department of State Lands, I think, and, and she says that they need to basically soldier on and they remain committed to the Elliott Forest takeover. So when you read her letter, do you get the sense that they still want to effectively do this without OSU? What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's what she's saying, but I think it's a last gasp. I don't see how they can do it. They were not only uh, going to be operating at a loss, but they were going to need $35 million dollars. Uh, to get started, and they were going to need money every year to uh, pay their researchers to uh, core trees or something. Uh, so uh, uh, I think it, it was like uh, whistling in the, in the dark. Uh, mm-hmm. It was trying to save face type thing. thing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So and, and I think maybe to, to maybe save her job because they for five years they've wasted hundreds of millions of dollars and and uh, hundreds that should have gone to our schools and, and relief of our taxpayers and also lost hundreds of jobs. 
and created an increasing risk of wildfire. So it's just been just, well, a boondoggle uh, for the last six or seven or eight years and the last five years that, that Oregon State's been involved. So, yeah, I think it was just a, a, a quick response trying to uh, save base and uh, maybe employment. Well, the other thing that the OSU President uh, Murthy had mentioned was some public outcry against the Habitat Conservation Plan and some other issues, but also that the uh, tribes in that area were also opposed to this. And there was a letter from the tribes there, and I found this to be really interesting, is that the tribes expressed concern that, quote, the proposed management direction would put the majority of the Elliott into no-touch reserves where a sustainable and ecologically appropriate approach to stewardship would be precluded. Approximately two-thirds of the Elliott would be designated as reserves where no harvest, not even selective harvest, methods such as thinning. And, and right there, if you're taking two-thirds of the forest offline, this was never going to be sustainable. Uh, that was our point uh, from the beginning. At the C.T. Clusey, the uh, Confederated Tribes of, of uh, Coos, Lower Umpqua, and Sayusla that put in that uh, message, and that was great. Hmm. The HCP, a lot of credit has to go to Jim uh, Hamaker and the Henri Group yes. uh, by, by bringing that to public attention. That has been a problem for 30 years and nobody knows what it is because the government keeps speaking in uh, Latin and metric, <laughs> and uh, only the environmental uh, groups bother to learn them, and the lawyers, of course. And so uh, the whole population has been left, left out. And so uh, Jen and her group have been able to popularize this concern and bring public attention to what it really means, government uh, zoning of private and state lands to the detriment of private landowners in the yeah. state. Yeah. And taxpayers, certainly. Yes, and certainly not sustainable in the normal sense of things, only sustainable if you keep pumping billions of dollars into it. Okay, let's go and take a break. We'll continue talking about the LH State Forest and what happened there with Dr. Bob Zyback. Stay with us. We're talking today to Dr. Bob Zyback. He holds a PhD in environmental sciences from OSU, and his dissertation was on catastrophic forest wildfire patterns. And uh, we've been talking about the Elliott Forest, which OSU was going to start managing and uh, take that offline effectively. Leaving that um, last segment there, we were talking about the letter from the tribes, and we'll put this up on iSpyRadio.com again. Today's show is 13-49. And there's just so much common sense in that letter as, as far as you know you're you're effectively ignoring me uh, the state land board uh, that they're effectively ignoring so much of what would make common sense sense for uh, managing forests and, and they say this uh, over time these no-touch reserves would grow into an uninterrupted expanse of dark closed canopy forests these overgrown conditions lack diversity they provide very little in terms of habitat for threatened species which of course is what you know they, they claim they're trying to do there they are also prone to catastrophic, unnatural wildfire. These forests depend, and this is, I think, the really key point here. These forests depend on human stewardship to maintain more open and diverse forest conditions, which benefits plants and animals as well as people. I mean, that completely, that mindset of this requires human stewardship completely blows the modern-day environmentalist policy of no touchy-touchy out there. It blows it out of the water. Well, yeah, and that, that's been a point that's been made for uh, a few decades, ever since the Clinton plan. People are part of the environment. When these uh, environmentalists are treating humans like they're pathogens, like we despoil the environment, and somehow there's this nature out there that's going to grow old growth and flocks of spotted owls if we just get the hell out of the way, it, it's nuts. 
and yet they've been uh, able to drive policy and uh, cause a lot of poverty, a lot of dead animals, a lot of smoke, a lot of dead trees with their nonsense. People have been part of that environment of the Elliot for thousands and thousands of mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And when you close canopy, as the letter says, uh, if you've ever been in a Douglas fir forest with a closed canopy, not only is it uh, uh, open to a crown fire, which kills everything, but there's no diversity. There's no songbirds. There's no butterflies. There's no deer. There's no grouse. There's nothing. Uh, it's uh, a, a dead environment. It used to be called a green desert. That's what they called it uh, 50 and 60 years ago. And so you've got to have openings in the forest. You've got to have gathering of firewood to reduce fire danger. Uh, you've got to have gathering of different plants and animals in, in order to uh, uh, maintain diversity. So uh, that letter is exactly right. It's a wonderful letter, and it's a, a great follow-up to the Oregon State letter. And the only complaint I would have would be that it should have been written six years ago. Yes. Yeah. What Did something change there with the tribes, you think? Because you're right, they, they should have said this six years ago. Well, I, I was working with the tribes, particularly Don Ivey, uh, on the Coquels at, at that time, and bringing up these issues. And we were pretty powerless, uh, the tribes and the local people. They were doing this all behind closed doors. They mm. said, oh, we're having like, listening sessions, and there'd be maybe 10 or 12 people would show up. It wouldn't make the newspapers. We'd be lectured to mm. virtually everybody was being paid to be there. It was mostly environmentalists and lawyers and, and maybe one or two elected officials. And they would uh, dictate to us this wonderful new research opportunity they were going to do that was somehow an advantage to people, which was never explained. And it would only cost our schools a billion dollars. Uh, so uh, let's go. Wow. And, and they did that the tribes too. And I think maybe last uh, four or five months ago, when uh, Vicki Walker came out with the thing saying that, uh, oh, we've been working closely with the tribes and mentioned them by name, when the tribes realized they haven't been working closely with us, they haven't been closely working with anybody. This has all uh, been foisted on us, uh, whether it's state land board meetings where the uh, governor, the treasurer, and the secretary of state have been responsible as trustees since 1859 they uh, hired the DSL to um, actively manage the trust lands, and DSL has uh, uh, fallen far short yes, they have. of their obligation to school kids. Yeah. So the tribe just emphasized that point, and they did it wonderfully. How much of this do you think with the Elliot is more about, less about the forest, and it's really the guys, well, we're going to study the forest, but that Huntington uh, email, he really mentioned this carbon credit scam, uh, scam in my opinion, he doesn't call it a scam, um, it's you, a scam. Well, it totally <laughs> is. Yeah, it totally is. But do you yeah. think that was the real impetus for pushing this in there was this carbon mitigation plan for which I assume they thought they were going to make billions of dollars from either gullible corporations or uh, the, the hopeless, helpless taxpayer? Well, I, I think that was part of it. But you have uh, Portland Audubon, particularly uh, Cascadia uh, Wild as a backup and uh, diversity, uh, that group and their lawyers calling the shots. So it was a power play so that the environmentalists could lock up a forest, put loggers out of work, and uh, have the say on how our forests are managed. And then when they burn up, uh, then they could send in people to do uh, climate change modeling. Since the, <laughs> the wildlife modeling wasn't working for critical habitat, they wouldn't have a, a, a threat of epic proportions from uh, climate change. So it was a handful of elites 
uh, mostly environmental industry, working with the government officials to undermine uh, the work of uh, thousands of people through uh, uh, generations of, of uh, local residents and tribes before them. Uh, and so the tribe is exactly right. You need humans and fire are components of a healthy forest and uh, the environmental movement and the ecological forestry theories don't recognize that reality. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. Um, so in terms of what's happening next, there is a meeting on December 12th with the potential that this could sunset if, if no action is taken hereafter on December 31st. And I'm looking here at their agenda and they don't even really mention the Elliott State Forest in terms of um, any action is going to be taken. It's under informational items. And all it says is uh, Elliott State Research Forest, no public testimony will be taken on this item. So have they scrubbed this? I mean, what, what are your thoughts going forward here? Well, they can't scrub it because uh, it's a state land board and they are responsible for the school trust lands. And the Elliott was a school trust plant land before the legislature uh, uh, followed orders and decoupled it, as they call it. Uh, they can't sell it, but they sold it to themselves with taxpayer dollars. So they, I think it's a waiting game uh, for them, and they're just postponing what they're going to do next. But mm, certainly yeah. be put back to work as intended. Well, I certainly know that um, Vicki Walker there would like to continue, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see what does, in fact, happen. Unfortunately, we're up against the clock. Bob, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Welcome back. This is the Ice Pie Radio Show. We're talking now to Jennifer Hammaker. She is the president of Onry, that's Oregon Natural Resource Industries. You can uh, find out more about them and support them by heading to onri.us. We'll link that up on today's show page 13-49 at iSpyRadio.com. Jen, it is great to talk to you. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So you and Onry have been fighting the onerous habitat conservation plan. You guys are fighting the offshore wind farms. You're out there defending our forests and other natural resources and among them is the Elliott State Forest Plan. And uh, almost out of the blue, OSU suddenly decides, this is after almost five years of uh, planning and scheming, OSU decides they won't proceed with the Elliott State Forest Plan, which uh, would have taken the uh, Elliott State Forest effectively offline from timber harvest, a forest which can sustainably generate more than 50 million board feet of timber every year. So to me, this feels like a win. Does it feel like a win to you? It does feel like a win. You know, there's so much going on behind the scenes um, with this whole thing. Uh, I think the state land board and others are pivoting right now. I think this was a little bit shocking. And then again, others think that it wasn't very shocking. Uh, they're surprised at the approach from OSU. But because, you know, OSU drafted a uh, plan, that plan was, you know, extremely restrictive on timber harvest. And so, whereas the Elliott grows, I think it's uh, 80 million board feet a year, um, they were only going to be harvesting 17. Yeah. And so, so that puts a lot of um, forest fuel um, on, on the ground. Yeah, there's just um, a potential for forest fires there and, and everything else. And um, I, I'd like to read a little bit from the OSU letter because I think it directly pertains to what you guys have been doing. And the president says this, it is with great disappointment that I share the unfortunate news that at this juncture, I am not prepared to make a recommendation to the Oregon State University's Board of Trustees that they authorize OSU to participate in the management of the Elliott State Research Forest. My conclusion was reached through the consideration of multiple factors, including this, 
I think is really important, including the recent public opposition to the Habitat Conservation Plan and Forest Management Plan. That's right. I look at what you guys have done to expose that and to get the word out there and organize people to show up to those meetings, which is so critical. So hats off to you guys. I think that played a real key role to send a message. This is not what Oregonians want. Yes, I totally agree with you. And uh, I have to thank you also because you were, you know, a part of that. You helped us get the word out. And that's the thing is that who has time to follow the Board of Forestry and uh, Oregon Department of Forestry's plans and all their meetings and all the advisory councils and all that kind of stuff? Not very many people do. So Mm -hmm. when we when we do and we can get that information out to the public, the public now knows. And when the public knows and there's a consensus out there and everybody has the consensus that this HCP is horrible, that decoupling the Elliott from the common school fund and not harvesting, you know, and not just not harvesting, not managing at all, instead of researching, it's, it's a research force, the world's largest research force. All of these things are, excuse me, but bath backwards. Um <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 Elliot one of the one of the top three things that they were going to be researching is forest fire. Yeah, well, they're kind of setting the stage for that, aren't they? And uh, that letter also co- expressed some concern that the state wanted minimal annual harvest, which you just alluded to. And and I really love this. She says uh, it would fail to support the health and resilience of the forest. And it's like. You, know, you read that and, and you think, so now they're suddenly realizing forest harvests are part of a healthy forest? <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I just, I almost want to hug this woman. Um, <laughs> I mean, be, because she she just wrote down in black and white from an authority uh, position exactly what we've been saying. She's mm-hmm. mirroring exactly what we've been saying for years. Yes. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. And, I, you know, hats off to her for doing this. I think that took a lot of courage. This has been something that's been going on for five years, and they've been really pushing for this. There's been a lot of, um, from the environmental side of things and, and uh, so many other stakeholders, as they like to call them out there, to really push this forward when it was just a bad plan to, from the get-go. And it makes me wonder if there was something else really underneath all of this that, that we'll come back to. And I really think, as, as I mentioned to, to Bob Zyback, I really wonder if this whole carbon scheme was really the impetus for all of this. Um, But we'll get your thoughts on that in a little bit. But I'd also like to read this. She says, despite previous support for the Elliott State Research Forest proposal, OSU has recently received feedback. And again, that's, I think, you guys. As part of the public comment period on the forest management plan draft from community and industry stakeholders calling for the development of a different plan. And so that kind of gives me a little bit of concern because I certainly know that Vicki Walker and, and some of the other people at the State Lands Board, um, they don't want to give up on this entirely. So do you have any thoughts in terms of what a different plan might look like? Uh, well, hopefully it includes harvest. Um, well, hopefully it includes selling it because that's the only it's the only thing that's going to um, be it's going to have to have a hop. Well, the State Land Board is requiring a habitat conservation plan on it. Right now, the trustees of that are the state land board. So they want a habitat conservation plan on that. Um, OSU wanted a a habitat conservation plan on that. Um, If it were to be sold, I think back in the earlier 2000s, it was sold to Seneca Sawmill and uh, under um, Kitzhopper. And then they took it back. They said, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't get we can't let it be sold 
we have to take it back. And so um, at that point, it did have a habitat conservation plan on it. Um, Seneca bought it as a, um, basically as just saying, you can't do this. You cannot take this, this forest, Oregon State Forest, and put it under such restrictive harvest and management that the fuels grow every year and that because they say that there's the, you know, spotted owl, the marble burlet and all this kind of stuff on there um, and, and close it down yeah. so much so that it puts everybody else, yeah. else at risk. Well, the research that they were looking at doing was almost, I mean, the way that they're going about it was going to make how not to do a forest uh, more than how to do yes. it. All right, now let's yes. go take a break. We're going to have lots more with Jennifer Hammaker talking about the Elliott uh, State Forest Plan and its demise. Stay with us. And welcome back. This is the Ice Five Radio Show. We've been talking about the Elliott State Forest Plan and how that has suddenly been sidelined now that OSU has decided they don't see that as being viable anymore and uh, that the president has said that she cannot recommend that to the uh, Board of Trustees. And we're talking with Jennifer Hammaker. She is the president of Honry. That's Oregon Natural Resource Industries. Their website is onri.us, and we'll link that up on ispyradio.com uh, as well. And, and Jen, um, I'd like to kind of backtrack just a little bit. There was a really interesting letter that we have here from uh, Dave Sullivan, and yeah. he walks us through exactly what happened with the Elliot here. And, and he says, and, and in fact, he's, he's in the process of filing a lawsuit uh, against the state. And he says, personally, I would not want to represent the other side of this case because the state land board's actions have been so egregious. Just to review, the state land board fired the Oregon Department of Forestry from managing the Elliott State Forest six years ago in direct violation of ORS 530. They hired their own forester who works out of the Bend office, a four and a half hour drive away from the Elliott Forest. They told the new forester not to allow a single log to be harvested from the Elliott State Forest, so the forest began losing millions of dollars each year, despite being some of the world's most productive forest lands. Uh, they paid for in an investment appraisal, which assumed the vast majority of the trees would be off limits to harvesting. So no surprise, this appraisal was roughly one-tenth of the forest market value. They used this lowball appraisal to pay for selling the Elliott from the common school lands for pennies on the dollars. This stole a heritage given to Oregon when it was founded to use for schools and school children. They created really restrictive rules about how Oregon State University would be allowed to use the forest for research. Essentially, three-quarters of the forest would be turned into a wildlife preserve, and this would be locked up for decades by selling carbon credits and creating an ironclad uh, set of management rules. No changes were to be allowed to accommodate changing societal or research needs. And so just to stop there, there's a little bit more here that I think we'll come back to, but um, I find it interesting there that he mentions, again, this carbon credits. And sure. when you look at the, uh, the presentation that uh, was given to the Board of Trustees by a dean there, when you look at the Oregon State University president's letter, uh, basically saying this is never going to be financially viable uh, with the lack of uh, timber that is being taken off there. And again, it could withstand easily 50 million board feet of timber every year. And they're looking mm -hmm. at maybe taking, I think, a third of that off and then declining uh, after the decades. So as far as uh, sustainably financially, this was never going to work. And that's why I'm thinking that this whole carbon credit scheme was the, the, the key focus here. Because unless they could sell that plan of the carbons, you were never going to be able to pay for it using just the lack of timber that you were taking off. <laughs> you, yes, you hit the nail on the head. So uh, in her letter, um, do you mind if I just read no. a sentence or two? Go ahead. Okay. 
in, in OSU's president's letter, um, that, that the letter that was declining the management of the Elliott, even after, you know, half a decade worth of work and uh, millions of dollars um, that went into uh, putting this together, she declined um, OSU's involvement in the research for now. Anyways, it says, um, these restrictions are specifically related to carbon sequestration, carbon storage, storage maximization, and the development of new models for offsetting carbon through the voluntary market. She's talking about the, you know, the carbon storage and, and uh, sequestration mm-hmm. on the Elliott, mm-hmm. and that because of those, because of those uh, strong restrictions, that they are completely off limits. You, you can't, you can't, I don't even know if you can actually walk in there. There, there, it says in here that it's, um, between 40 and a hundred year commitment mm. that's in her letter. So the Elliott state forest and who knows how, how big of an area that she's talking about here, but it must be significant because it will be totally off limits for 40 to a hundred years. You know, if you push through these carbon credit schemes and we're starting to see more and more of these appear, um, if if they're locking up that many acres of forest, eventually they're going to run out of forest to lock up. And yeah, it's going to burn. Yeah. Well, that too. Um, you're right. Because then it would end up burning up anyway. So it, it's, it's, it, it's these kinds of schemes that they come up, uh, up with these environmentalists that just sit around and they're, they're paid by, by these think tanks to think these things up rather than just simply doing what the land is intended for. It's, it, it's, yep. it grows trees, Let's harvest those. It's it's like letting a cornfield go to waste. You got all that corn there. You don't let it sit there and rot and everything else and get filled with the diseases. You know, you come in and you cut it, you replant it, it grows again, you cut it again, and it's just completely renewable. Yep. And, and the fact that they just can't face facts with this in reality, I just find that shocking. Um, as, as we said, this has been a five-year plan that they've been trying to push this through. It, it's a little unusual to see this happen, I mean, in the sense of that they had decided to cancel it after all of these years, do you really think how much of this was the public pressure that was being put on things versus the, the, the financial reality of it? Or is it just really both? Yeah, I think it's both. I think that, you know, that you can't deny the public um, outcry. Um, it's big and it's, it's, it's gaining momentum. Um, and also, the, the, you know, financially, it's not viable. Uh, to manage a forest costs a lot of money. And what what Kate Brown was doing with this forest was allowing it to sit there and um, and and not make any kind of contributions to the management of it um, from timber harvest revenue. Uh, so it got more expensive. I think it was costing the common school fund um, just close to two million dollars a year. And as Dave Sullivan said, um, uh, you know, he he is he's he has a lawsuit going. Um, he's going to be filing a lawsuit and um, against the state because of what they've done to the Elliot is so unnecessary. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and it's then, just it's just flat insane, too, because this is a state force that should be generating money for the state. And instead, what they've yeah. done, it's end up costing the state a tremendous amount of money. OK, let's go and take a break there. We'll have more with uh, Jen Hammaker. Stay with us. Yeah. 
And welcome back in our final segment now on the I Spy Radio Show. We're talking to Jen Hammaker. She is the president of Honorary. That's O-N-R-I dot U-S. If you want to go visit their website, and we'll put that up on today's show page, which is 13-49 as well. And so, Jen, in the time that we have left, just one quick uh, follow-up on that carbon credit scheme. Do you have any idea who profits on that? Is it, I mean, is the state getting the money? Does it go to the forest? Does it go to individuals? Does it go to companies? Maybe environmental groups. Who gets the money? Well, the state land board owns so the state state land boards own, owns that uh, real estate, and if you put carbon credits on it, that that money. But this this is this is a debacle. Is that the state land board will also create the carbon credits? So that how much the value of them? The state will will create a scheme or a scam or a plan, what probably they call it, of how much to sell these carbon credits for depending on the density of the forest and what types of, you know, trees and all that kind of stuff are in there, they lock it up and they set the price on it and then they sell it Hmm. and then they make the money off of it. Hmm. And it's decoupled from the common school fund. So the, so the school children won't receive any of that money anymore. Yeah. Uh, And they're going to, we're stealing from our own kids is what it boils down to. That's right. That's right. Yep. So um, let's talk a little bit about what's next. The Elliott Travoris boondoggle is apparently off the table for now, but we don't really know what's next. Uh, but then I often see things like this, and I'm reminded of that Ronald Reagan quote who says, the closest thing to eternity here on Earth is a government program. So I doubt this is entirely off the table. But And, and there's this, too. This is from uh, Vicki Walker, who says, quote, let me be abundantly clear the state remains deeply committed to the fantasy, well, she uses the word vision, the fantasy of an Elliott State Research Force. So they're clearly still trying to swing something out of this. Do you have any thoughts in terms of where this is, is headed and, and what their next steps may be? Yeah, I think Vicki Walker's putting a Band-Aid on a hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that poor woman. <laughs> I would not want to be in her shoes right now. <laughs> she's she's a, she's on the hot seat right now. Um so, uh, and, and, and the president of OSU, you know, lobbed the ball and the ball is in their court now, the state land board's court now. So we'll see, we'll see what, how this progresses. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting. There's a lot of players. Um, there's a lot of levels to this. It is not an easily explained situation. Um, and the tribes have a lot to do with it. So, you know, I think this is, it, I can't wait to see this unfold. Yeah. Well, there was also this from the tribe's letter uh, in response. Um, <clears throat> they said, unfortunately, a November 14th letter from DSL director uh, Vicki Walker sent in response to OSU's decision reaffirms DSL's commitment to moving forward with the current research proposal, forest management plan, and habitat conservation plan. And I, I think they're right. Is This is really disappointing. If, if this, you know, now that they've got all of this opposition to it, that they still want to do it anyway, it, it's like, damn the taxpayers full steam ahead. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I know. I, I, I don't really know what to say about that other than the tribes are uh, deeply concerned. They have been deeply concerned. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of levels to this and a lot of players and it's hard to keep track of them all. And uh, so as it, as it starts to unwind, um, unfold, I'm sure that you'll be there and, and watching how it unfolds and getting it out to the people. And so will I. So there's another date coming up fast here, December 31st. And as I understand it, this is the sunset date for this plan. What happens if no action is taken? This just disappear. Or as I said, it's just eternity here on earth for this plan. We just, uh, they're just going to figure out some other way to do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the it sunsets on the the thirty first. However, it'll just go back to the state land board. It has not it has not uh, changed hands yet. So it'll just stay where it's at. Okay. Um, and then that plan will have to be somehow either resurrected or agreed upon, or I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, I, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to play out, but, um, it, it, the land is owned by the state and the state land board is the trustee. So it'll go back into, you know, the trustees care. Um, and OSU is out of the picture for now. But that doesn't mean they're out of the picture in the future. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, I would hope that going forward that they might actually start listening to all sides instead of just one side that is determined to do this and to and determined to do it in a certain way. And and I don't think they're listening to tribes. I don't think they're listening to the average person. Certainly not listening right. to timber companies as, as well who know about creating sustainable forests. You don't gut it and then be surprised that there's nothing there. You've got to manage it in such a way that it, it comes back every year. So okay. uh, you guys have a little bit of a wind at your back. You guys have been uh, successful in, in fighting this plan. You, you're you're uh, out there fighting the HCP. W- what do you know about the, the wind farm boondoggle? You guys are, are still pushing on that as well. Can you give us a quick update on that? Yeah. So the uh, it's it's called Boehm's uh, Renewable Energy. We call it the wind farms. Um, they three miles off of the Oregon shore is uh, you know uh, from the shore to three miles is is Oregon's, and then everything else from there uh, out to I think thirteen or twenty miles is um, or thir- sorry it's forty miles is federal waters. And so the federal government Boehm, the Bureau of Oceanic uh, Wind Energy or um, uh, Ocean Energy management, sorry, is is proposing to put out there 2,100 square miles of these gigantic wind turbi- turbines that we don't even have the technology for yet. Mm. Um, and so we are, we're talking to uh, mayors along the coast, commissioners along the coast. We've got proclamations signed, many proclamations signed, um, opposing these wind uh, farms. Uh, there's possibly a class action lawsuit being formed. We're talking about it right now. Um, it Great. is not started by, yeah, it's not started by Henri, but it is supported by Henri. Um, we've been talking to the East Coast where they've been putting in uh, wind turbines also, not the same kind that they're, as they're proposing to put on the uh, West Coast, but they are, they have put in um, similar ones on the East Coast. And um, we've been talking to people that have been successful in defeating them. And so that's yes. helped. And, and public outcry was a huge part of that for sure. Huge. Yep. Huge. Absolutely. So Jen, unfortunately we're up against the clock. I want to thank you so much for being here and for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it too. Jen's organization one more time is Onri Oregon Natural Resource Industries, O-N-R-I.us, O-N-R-I.us. They have been doing tremendous work on the behalf of all Oregonians to protect and defend Oregon's natural resources. Forests, fishing, mining, farming. Not to lock up land and resources and not touch them, but instead to advocate for common sense usage of them and to ensure that they are here for the next generation. Fighting the Habitat Conservation Plan, the offshore wind farm, and helping sideline the Elliott State Research Forest, a forest that would have been ruined if the so-called environmentalists had taken it over. If that's what they've accomplished just through sheer determination and pluck, imagine how much more they could do with some real funding behind them. ONRI.US, look under the shop tab for a link to donate. They are willing to do the fight, but they need ammunition. If you can help, do so. Because as we say every week, the best information does you no good if you don't use it. Reagan, 
What do you think? I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. It's more than a show. It's self-defense. The I Spy Radio Show.